This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Hello and welcome back to our latest show from the world of tennis. I am Seb Lozier and this week we get the lowdown on a top 10 player from one of the top coaches on tour, Liam Smith. Liam joined me on the line and we talked about many things from developing a top 10 player to setting goals, working with men and women and the difference between the two. And with his new online coaching platform only recently launched, we also talked confidence, focus technique but before we get into all of that let's hear from the man he is currently coaching before lockdown ATP uncovered and Gabriel Clark profiled the great entertainer Gail Monfils. Life is full of mystery you know we never know realistically you know how we know it's gonna end up. If there's a mystery off the court for Gael Monfils, the enigmatic, uber-talented Frenchman who's been lighting up the ATP Tour for more than a decade. Oh, stunning. What a winner from Monfils. There's a new clarity on the court in 2020, as his form and consistency have soared to levels now competing with his genuine moments of genius. Monfils at his best, just stunning court coverage. The Frenchman has re-entered the top 10 equation, putting himself in the conversation as one of the stars in the 2020 season. He's made that, that is superb, and he gets the thumbs up from Novak Djokovic himself. In February, Monfils turned that brilliance into back-to-back victories, starting at home. And there it is, here in Montpellier, homegrown winners, carries on. Before he headed to Rotterdam. Well, uh, to be honest, I woke up, uh, been uh, take the breakfast and uh, actually uh, run into the shuttle to, to take the plane. So it was uh, not much uh, to think about, you know, just uh, to be on time uh, here. To, to get ready to play uh, tomorrow. Wraps it up in style. Uh, Monfils marches on. You know, it's the, it's the, the biggest part on you know, the tour is uh, to, to have success uh, back to back and uh, weeks after weeks. So, you know, it's, uh, it's demanding, but I think uh, we train for that. You know, we train uh, physically, mentally to, to be able to put us in the spot that maybe we, we know we we can uh, win and win and win and win. No, it was uh, it was great. Uh, played a very amazing final. You know, we have the great shots. Uh, I have no points uh, in the head now, but I was playing a high level. Yes. Magnificent Monfils, and the first time the Frenchman has been able to defend the title. That will be sweet for him. 
the top is to try to be uh, stable in the top 10, you know, and, uh, and maybe reach, uh, you know, as I say, maybe for the first time, maybe top five. Uh, I've been six, the highest, and maybe uh, if I can uh, win another title, put me in a better spot, maybe to, to maybe stabilize myself in the top 10. Moffis strides through to the last eight in Dubai. I try to be uh, good every day, even though, you know, I don't think I play uh, my best tennis, just I uh, can show that uh, I'm fighting and try to be very solid. He's made that, that is superb. And on it goes, Djokovic saving another match point. Djokovic does it in the end. His unbeaten run continues this year. So I wish him all the best. I hope he recovers quickly because if he plays this way, he's going to be one of the, the best players in the world this year. Why not uh, to, uh, to try to, uh, to go a bit higher? So exciting to think that Gail Monfils is reaching out for even greater heights. And that was the starting point when I spoke with his coach, Liam Smith. He's one of the, the greatest athletes to ever play our sport. And I think it's, um, you know, a lot of it's credit to him. He's, he's really been very disciplined, very focused. He's very motivated. He wants to try to uh, set new goals that are sort of striving to achieve things he hasn't done before. And um, he's really um, taken everything on board and really tried every, every way he can to improve himself. And, and I think he's doing a great job with that. So, you know, as a team, we're really happy with, uh, with the results. But obviously, ultimately, a coach, you're only going to be as, as effective as how well your player can implement things and how motivated and disciplined and what, willing, what they're willing to do. And, uh, and he's been, uh, yeah, he's been doing some amazing things, you know, so we're, we're very happy. Do you think Gail's got to know himself as a player a little bit better now and, and to deal with his, his own, you know, talents and, uh, and also his body? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously matured a lot. And, and as you get older as a tennis player, you, you do have a different perspective on things. You've got a lot more experience. You've learned a lot of things over the years. And you sort of, you know, he's also had a lot of good coaches over his career. So he's had good information from lots of different coaches over his career and you sort of collectively put it all together and you start to come up with something that becomes the right ingredients for you as a, as a player yourself. So there's a lot of things that go into, into having success later in your career. Um, but definitely um, just that the understanding and the maturity and experience is, is a huge one. And uh, I think as well, you know, people don't always give him credit, but he's an incredibly smart tennis player. He really sees the court very well. And as people see, he can do a lot of things. And at times, sometimes he'll, he'll try maybe to do, do too much or other times he won't do enough. But I think, you know, his experience now and um, just some of the things that we've been trying to work on is, is he's doing really well at, at managing his, his own skill set and using it to the best effect. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're happy with, with the way he's playing. I'm certainly very happy with the style of tennis he's playing and how he's using his many attributes and assets that he has to, to the maximum effect. What is the perfect style for Gail? Well, obviously, Gail is incredibly fast. He's one of the fastest guys on the tour. 
and he can reach a lot of balls and he can defend incredibly well, which keeps a lot of pressure on opponents. But I've always wanted him to use that speed to be um, just as equally offensive as defensive and use that speed to sometimes when you are in defensive positions, get yourself back into a place where you can be offensive a little bit sooner. And um, also his movement forwards to try to get him to look to move forwards a little bit more and use that great speed and athleticism he has to get forwards and, and finish some points at the net and be willing to do that a little bit more. And I think he's, he's doing a really good job with that. We spent a lot of time at the end of uh, 2018 with, with a really long seven-week preseason, basically, where we spent a lot of time working on, on coming forwards because I also believe that if you're going to do something in a match, in a really big moment in a match, you want that, coming back to the confidences from the preparation, you want to have done it thousands, millions of times in practice or in other matches or during even that match to, to feel like you have that confidence, that awareness, that court positioning, that feeling of what to do and where to go and how to do it. You want that really instinctive so that in the big moments, it's there for you. So yeah, you have to spend a lot of time. So we have actually done a little work on the serve and volley and the approaching the net more and lots of point-based situational games where you have to attack and do different things just to get more and more comfortable at doing it and, and getting better at it. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's not rocket science. The more you do something, the better you're going to get at it. So uh, yeah, he's, it, it, it's a balance with him because there's obviously a lot of strengths in his game that he needs to also maintain. Um, also, you know, he has a, a big serve and a very big forehand and just trying to get him to really use those and let people feel those a little bit more on the court to use the strengths that he has an incredible ball striking ability and, you know, just to use that as much as he possibly can. So yeah, really, really happy with how he's, you know, put that together. And yeah, he's, he's playing some great tennis. As he gets older, does he also learn to learn more from his losses? I mean, for example, that the loss to Djokovic in Dubai in the semifinals, I think this year, one of the few, few matches he's lost all year. What, what did you learn from that? And what did he learn from that? Uh, we learned we need to serve an ace on match point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, uh, we took a lot of positives from that match. Obviously, it's, it's brutal to lose a match like that when you played well and, and somewhat for about a set and a half dominated mm. the best player in the world and the best player of this moment. And certainly Novak this year hasn't lost any matches either. So, um, you know, to, to play that well, it was, it was encouraging, especially given that they played, a, they played a good match at the ATP Cup. And I felt like Gail played quite well. But it wasn't that close. No, Novak was, you know, it, it was close, but the score didn't reflect how close it was in a way. But we took a lot from that match and we learned. And, and there's a few things that I felt that he did better on the court from a tactical perspective. And yeah, it's tough. But we, we took the positives that he knows what he, what he can do and how he needs to go about things with Novak on the court. And, you know, we keep trying. Maybe it's 18th. I'm lucky, you know. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, all of his titles have come at the 500 level or lower, haven't they? I mean, he has played in this era of just these three, four incredible tennis players, arguably the, the best who've ever played the game. Does he still have a Masters or even a slam in him, do you think? He's made finals of Masters. And, you know, as you said, he's come up uh, against some great players um, in those finals. So 
that's always, you know, you obviously go, that's what you expect when you're in the final of, of a 1000 and then semifinals of Grand Slams and things like that. You, that's the level. That's what it takes. I do think that he, he has it in him. Yes, I, I really do believe that. And that's part of our process and, and mission is to try to win some of those bigger titles and chase those bigger titles. And, you know, I have a little saying that luck is when preparation meets with opportunity. And uh, we, we just try to be well prepared and keep put, putting himself in those situations. And if the opportunity comes, hopefully he's, uh, he's ready for it. One of the things that we definitely talked about is the importance of getting good at winning the smaller ones and getting good at closing out semifinals and finals and, and just getting that little bit better at taking trophies. And, and he's been doing that, which is, which is really good. And I think that's a really positive step um, also for his own self-confidence. So yeah, we're, we're working every day and we're trying to, trying to get to that bigger title. And I really do feel like he's a player that is capable. How do you help someone like Gale set goals? The, the clock is kind of ticking with Gale. Do, do, does he feel like he's under pressure to, to set goals now? Or, you know, does he still aspire to, to go top five, for example? Uh, are these things you talk about? He, he actually set a goal at the, at the beginning of the year. I think he, he mentioned it at the ATP Cup or at the Australian Open that it was his goal to be top five this year um, to try to make the, the Masters the ATP Finals in London. Missed it by one match last year, basically. So that those are obviously goals that he set, and it's been his 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 goal for most of his career to try to win a Grand Slam and be the best player that he can possibly be for that two week period of time. And um, yeah, those are still very real, and we're still working on on trying to achieve those things. And obviously, we had a reasonable start, but we're just a bit stuck now. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't think that's, that there's pressure that the clock is ticking. I think it's more about just the daily things. The taking things step by step and staying in the moment and trying to do the best he can on a daily, weekly sort of basis. With Gail as well, you, you have a, a particular dynamic in that he spends so much of his time with Alina Svitolina, his, his partner. And as a sort of an outsider looking in, his tennis only seems to have blossomed and benefited from this. Is, is that how you see it as well, as, as a positive? Yeah, I mean, it's a positive. I think when you're when you're happy in your personal life and you feel very balanced and grounded. And also it's been good because he's, he's been a great support to her as well. And he watches a lot of her matches and she watches a lot of his matches and they, they sort of sharing that journey and handling those different competition stresses and things together. So, um, yeah, I, I see it as a positive, you know, it's, um, a happy player always plays better. So it's a, it's a part of a part of it. And he's admitted that he feels under pressure at times because her standards in practice are so high. <laughs> do, do you see that? Yeah, she's a very hard worker. Um, and she's, um, yeah, she's a very tough competitor, very hard worker. And yeah, sure, at times he, he, he he's, uh, admires the way that she goes about things. And, and I think he's spoken about that, that uh, her work ethic and her professionalism is really, uh, is really something great. So... And we're hoping that she's going to also win some big events. She's won, she's won plenty, but at the Grand Slam level to also try to make a breakthrough. And she has, she has in her corner, doesn't she, Marcos Bagdatis now, which must bring with it another dynamic, which is also fairly unique in that two coaches are working presumably, well, not side by side, but within close proximity. Do you guys swap notes? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, she has uh, Andrew, Andrew Bettles, and, uh, and, and Marcos has been working with her. 
it's been good. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. You know, obviously the the men's and women's is a bit different, but uh, it's nice when you can sort of share some of the positives and uh, and the tough times together. So it's been a, it's been a nice journey actually. Any negatives at all? Any distractions that you sometimes worry about, or or do the positives just simply out, outweigh them so so much that it's 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 all good? Well, you know, it's it's always tough when you have two athletes that are both competing, um, and if they have to, you know, different schedules, different match times, that can be a challenge because um, they want to better support each other as much as they possibly can. Um, but they've also got to choose when when they have to put their their match or their tennis first. So that, that's always the balance and that's always the challenge for them. But I think so far they're doing a pretty good job of trying to trying to handle that. So. And you've worked within the women's game as well and with players like Justina and Arden right, right at the top of the game. So presumably you have that empathy too. Um, just wondering what you made of Andrea Gaudenzi, the ATP chair's comments recently about wanting to, or his his desire to sort of unify tennis more than perhaps it's it is at the moment. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I think Andrea's been a, it's been fantastic that he's uh, the, the new chairman. I think so far he's done a, a great job. It's obviously been very difficult for him to start with with everything that's happening, but yeah, his his comments and his vision. And we all support him, and yeah, we, we think that having more unity and bringing everybody together in the in the best interests of tennis as a collective is a good thing. Exactly how and what and when and where and why don't know. Um, obviously, you've got the ATP, you've got the WTA, you've got the ITF, and then the Grand Slams, which are sort of governed by the ITF, but are somewhat their own entities as well. So it's just bringing everybody together and trying to get everybody on the same page. But look, the Grand Slam tournaments are combined events and they're very successful. And then big events like Indian Wells, Miami, Cincinnati, there's combined events in Beijing and and different places around the world, Madrid, that are successful. So I think um, the model is there. It's just about... uh, how do you how do you make it work? And some of the some of the, the the tournaments around the world, the facilities are not big enough to have combined events, like Dubai, for example, where they do the the, the women the week before and the men the week after, sign that kind of thing. Um, sometimes that that's what's going to have to happen. But uh, yeah, look, I think it's it's always a positive, and I think fans enjoy to go to those big tournaments where they can go watch a men's match and then they can go watch a women's match and then even a doubles match, and they they get to see tennis as a whole rather than just one aspect so I think the product is is when it's together is really good when the product is separated everything gets very diluted you're listening to the ATP tennis radio podcast that is Liam Smith coach of Gail Monfils more from Liam shortly First, a reminder that if you want to listen to that interview Liam was talking about with ATP chairman Andrea Gaudenzi, that, along with many other recent chats with top players and coaches, is available ready and waiting for you. If you're a regular subscriber, it's right there in the back catalogue. And if you've just stumbled upon this podcast and want to hear more, wherever you usually go for your podcasts, head there, search for ATP Tennis Radio, and you'll find us and our many guests. Time now, though, for part two with Liam Smith and with his new coaching website, lcstennis.com, having just recently launched with all kinds of videos and tips for players, coaches, and parents, 
We delved into the treasure trove, and in these times of lockdown, I wanted to start with the mental side of the game. I wanted to know whether mental strength and cast iron focus is hardwired into a player like Rafael Nadal, or whether it's something he can teach a player like Gail Monfils. It's something that you, you develop through your journey, when you, and, and it starts when you're fairly young. And um, then it, it comes with your experiences and, and your process as you're developing on the, on the tour. And you sort of evolve your opinions and your perceptions and your mindset. Um, but for me, I, I think um, coaching, it's, yes, it's very important forehands and backhands and techniques and tactics and all those things are part of it. But it all starts with the mindset and, and the attitude and, and how you're going to go about your, your daily sort of routines and habits. That's where it all starts because that's what sets the tone for how you are going to be able to do or improve the other things. So, yeah, I, I talked a lot about the, the mindset stuff because I think it's something that we sometimes forget about. And when you look at all the content that's out there in the world... There's a lot of stuff about drills and forehands and backhands and techniques, but there's not that much about how you collectively put it all together and the type of structure and mindset that you need to maybe turn that into becoming a really successful player. And um, yeah, I think it's not necessarily something that you can teach because I think everybody has it within them. It's more a question of improving it or developing it or even understanding your own mindset and what works for you because sort of like I said before every player is a little bit different and has their own personalities and styles and opinions and you've got to find a way to help them to improve their own and find their own way of, of thinking that's better for them so it's um, yeah I think it's a very important ingredient it's definitely something that you can you can improve adjust uh, with, with, with any player, I think. Something like confidence or dealing with negative thoughts. People listening would think, well, you know, how would a player inside the top 10 in the world have confidence issues? Is it even possible? But, but it is, isn't it? And how does that manifest? Yeah, I mean, look, you can, be, you can be a very confident player and a very confident person, but there can be different conditions that affect it. You know, maybe you're not confident on windy days. Maybe you're not confident on certain surfaces as much or against certain opponents and certain matchups. You don't feel as comfortable or confident. So it's about sort of managing your own perceptions and trying to build your own confidence in all these different situations. And, you know, let's be honest, you can be confident in, in Paris, but not confident in London. If you're playing at the Roland Garros and Wimbledon, just the surfaces or the atmospheric conditions and things. So yeah, it's just a constant thing to be aware of and try to build. For me, I have a bit of a, 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 a sort of a personal <coughs> quote thing that, uh, that confidence is born out of preparation. So if you're very well prepared, then your confidence is going to be higher. It's almost like if you, if you have that sort of feeling or understanding or, or almost knowing that you can do something, then that helps inspire that confidence in you to actually go out there and do it. So it's sort of the self-belief and the having done the repetitions and done the work on the practice court or past matches or over your career, you draw on all those things and that's what helps to increase the confidence in those big moments. What about on the flip side, anger, Liam? How do you how do you keep a lid on it? And, and should, you, should you always keep a lid on it? Can it help to just have a blowout and get it out of the system? What, what do you, what's your take on that? Well, again, it's kind of individual. 
you know, in, in most cases, if you, if you completely lose it on the court, you're probably going to play worse. But then you've had players like John McEnroe that the anger and the, they played better. They, 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 it, it focused them in a way. So, yeah, it, again, it's kind of individual. And, and, you know, sometimes, to be honest, you're, you're, you're in matches, you're competing and you're struggling and it's a tough moment. And you, you do. You need to fire yourself up a little bit. You need, to, you need to create something or you need to let something out. And when you do that, it helps you move forward. So, again, it's about knowing yourself first. And then as a coach, it's about knowing your player and trying to understand uh, and help them that, okay, you know what, do what you've got to do and then get back to, get back to being focused and, and getting, getting back to work. As you see with Rafa and Roger and those guys, they really have a great composure and mindset on the court. Do you believe that on-court coaching would help anger management? with players or do you think it might make it worse if it were to come in <laughs> that, dep- that depends on the player right? <laughs> i don't know some, some some players i don't know if i'd want to go out there on the court and do the on-court coaching you might get a you might get a, a mouthful but um yeah the on-court coaching is an interesting subject because i'm in favor of it in the way that um i think it would be good f- as a product for our sport uh, from the the tv influence the marketing part and um, just an evolution to create more interest for the sport in general and, and you know, there's a lot of things that go with that with, mm. with the way TV could frame it and use it and things like that. I think it's about finding the right way to sort of package it and, 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 and make it work. The only thing that I am a little bit against in the process is the sort of traditional part that says well look one of the things that separates um, the great players from the good players is their ability to figure things out on their own on the court and their awareness of who's doing what to who and who's serving where more and what patterns are being played and what they need to do and adjust on the court. So I'm, I, I am a little bit concerned that it might take that away from the game. But for the average fan watching, it might make it more interesting and it might improve the quality of tennis because the coach can go out there or communicate, whether it's through a headset or some way of communicating that they might be able to raise the, the level of the match or a player struggling and, and, it, and it gets them going again. So there's positives and negatives. I, I definitely lean on the, on the side of, of, of we have to make positive changes to, to make the sport continually evolve and be more interesting but there is a traditional element to me as well you know I'm, I'm on the fence a little bit well do, do you prefer on court or headset because in many ways headset would get around a few things yeah well, you wouldn't get a whack on it with the headset that's for sure. yeah. but I think the headset is is a better way or have like a, a little bit like the ATP cup I was uh, I really I was very fortunate to be a part of team France for the ATP cup and I thought it was an amazing event and I like the format where you could do the coaching in the corner. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of like, almost like a boxing, you know, like you go to your corner and you get yeah. sorted out and you go back and you play, you know. But I think that was a, a nice way of doing it. And it didn't, um, it, 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 was, it was just a nice balance that the, the, the chairs were in the corner, the coach was there or the captain and they could interact a little bit and maybe they could in the future mic that up more or create something of a product out of it. So. That was, a, that was a, nice, uh, a nice way. Or the headset, I think, is really cool. In terms of the physical side of things, I, I didn't necessarily want to ask you about, you know, the physicality and, and the, um, that side of training. But, it, but in terms of technique and practice, I was interested to ask you whether, whether you have an opinion on 
technique and whether there is a, a perfect technique that you should go out there and copy or whether really technique is just a, a subjective thing that de- you know it depends which player you're talking about yeah i mean te- it's not really all about technique to be honest technique is it's important and i think when you're young if you can shape your game with with reasonably sound sort of fundamentals it's important but i believe more in the in the connection between the technical and the tactical so as long as your technique allows you to produce the quality on the ball and the shot production quality to play the game the way you want to play it, then I think it's okay. I think sometimes coaches over fuss about technical things. And again, when players are younger, it's, it's important. But yeah, sometimes we, we change technique when we don't need to. If, if a player can get the ball to the areas of the court with a high quality on a consistent basis, then precisely how they do it is less important. And then there's also, you've got to have that understanding that all the top players that you see play, they all have certain things that are different. The way the racket prepares, the way the racket follows through a little bit here and there and things like that. But they have the general commonalities in the contact points, the body positions, the balance, and the way that the the racket moves through certain parts of their swing. So... Yeah, I think we've got to be careful. We've got to look at we've got to look at each player as an individual, and you've got to ask the question of does their technique allow them to play tactically the way they need to, or is there a conflict there? Are they trying to do something that their technique capabilities don't allow them to do, or are they able to to play the way that they want to play in a in a way that you think that they can be a good player, and then you don't have to stress too much about the technique. I mean. The only time you, re- you have to maybe make changes is if you have a, uh, an injury-related issue where the technique is not efficient and it's putting a lot of stress on a particular part of the body, mm-hmm. then you, you obviously want to improve that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, technique, it's, uh, it's one of those uh, subjective things, you know? You wouldn't necessarily coach all of Daniel Medvedev's technique, wouldn't you? But it doesn't seem to do him much harm. No, that's right. I mean, when you look at the way he swings and hits, hits the ball, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit different. There's a lot of good things that, like I said, the commonalities, but his ball quality and his consistency yeah. are so good. Maybe if somebody had changed that technique when he was a young kid, he wouldn't be as good a player. But sometimes it's, 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 it's not what you do, it's what you don't do that's also important. In terms of practice, um, are you, uh, you, you mentioned that you believe preparation um, hones confidence. From that, can I assume that you're a big one in, you know, a lot of ball hitting, a lot of repetition, or are you more about practicing match situations and and shorter, shorter, sharper, more sort of, you know, point-like practice? Where, Where do you sit on purposeful practice? Again, it's a little bit individual based on the player. I do believe it's my philosophy that everything has to have a purpose. And everything has to be somewhat specific. So the things that you do in practice need to make sense with your game, how you want to play, and, and the things that you're trying to improve. That has that, that for me has always been the reality. And and then certain players they prefer to do more repetition, more ball striking, more structured sort of drills. Some players prefer to have more sort of points and work on how they're constructing and playing their points. So it sort of depends on the the personality of the player, but I think that there's room and there's a need for both. And it all, it all comes back down to having a plan and being structured and having a purpose as to what you're doing. So when you do go on the practice court, 
you're not just out there hitting balls, but you're actually out there with a, a specific purpose and direction as to what you're trying to do and achieve that, that session or that period. The final one on this, stats and video. Where, where do you sit on, on the use, I guess, of statistics and almost the sort of paralysis by analysis and video? Is it always helpful or do you have to use it well? I think it's uh, it's a great thing to have it. The, the you know the the stats that we get now on the ATP tour and 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 what they're doing as well with Hawkeye is is fantastic. And going through a lot of videotape of matches, I, I I do watch hours and hours of opponents matches and different things, and I go through all the stats. But I think it's it's more important how you use it and how you interpret it. Um, great players they make adjustments on the court and, and you know that, okay, they're going to generally, they do this and this, but as the match goes on, the top guys, they start to realize that you're onto that and they, they adjust and they, and they change things. So I think it's more about how you interpret those stats and then also how you simplify, simplify the information because we have so much information that's available to us. It can get a bit complex and it can get, like you said, a bit paralysis by analysis so I think it's all about what you extract from those stats and how you can use them to prepare against opponents, but also look at your own game and think, oh, I've got to improve. I'm not doing this as well as I was, or I need to do this a bit better. And for me, I, I sort of sit somewhere between the old school, keep it real simple, and then using the stats to, to help. So it's, it's a combo. I feel like it's a combination. Well, that is it for this week. Our thanks to Liam Smith and that website again is lcstennis.com. I can guarantee whoever you are, there'll be something in there to improve your tennis and perhaps even your outlook on life in these strange times. Join us next Sunday when we'll hear from another top coach and lovely guy, Martin Stepanek, who's working to take Borna Chorich back to his title-winning Roger Federer conquering best of 2018. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't keep it a secret. Tell someone else or leave us a review. For now, though, from me, Seb Lozier, stay safe. We'll see you next week. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. review.